0: Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy summer, everybody. It is great to see you. And um, if we haven't met before, my name is Stu. I'm one of the pastors here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. And it is so good to welcome you this morning. And what a morning it is. It is beautiful outside. And particularly if this is your first time with us, can I just add my welcome to Laura's. Um, it's so good um, that you're with us and hope you have a really good morning with us. Let me begin with two stories this morning. An American traveler was visiting Africa and she wanted to take a long trek along a barren landscape and she was hoping to make her journey a really swift one. She was hoping to walk really, really quickly to get through the trek so that she'd be able to enjoy some rest on the other side. And to help her out, she hired a number of local guides to help guide her along the way and also carry some of her stuff. And over the first couple of days, everything was going so well. They were making such amazing progress. She was so happy with all of the ground that they had covered. They've gone really, really quickly. And then a couple of days in, she woke up. And she was raring to go, and as usual, she packed her bags really quickly, she pulled down her tent, and she went to meet the guides so they could set off and go on a really fast pace. But this morning was different than all the rest of the mornings, because whenever she went to meet with the guides, they all were sat down with their arms crossed. And she was a little bit frustrated and a little bit confused. Like, we'd all set off and went off really quickly all the other days. Why was this day any different? So she went to the leader of the guides and asked him, why are these guys refusing to move? And the guide looked at her and said, we had gone way too far, way too quickly. We're not going to continue the journey today because our souls need to catch up with our bodies. Second story. Jesus had sent off his 12 apprentices. He blessed them with his authority to go and see the kingdom of heaven come alive amongst them. They'd been sent out in twos and they saw miraculous things take place. People's lives were completely transformed. Demons were driven out. People were experiencing healing. It had all gone so well. And the disciples came back together to be with Jesus. And they would have been absolutely buzzing, celebrating all that they had seen. They wanted to feed back to Jesus. And they were raring to go again. But Jesus had a very different idea in mind. Before a crowd of well over 5,000 people would come and see a miracle take place, Jesus invited his disciples onto a boat. And they sailed away to a quiet place. Despite all the buzz, despite the flurry of activity, despite the desire to get going again, they heard the rabbi say to them that day, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I've noticed two things recently. Firstly, whenever we ask the question, how are you in this part of the world, it's really common to hear the answer back, I'm good, but I'm busy. We always hear that, and I find myself saying that word all of the time, that I'm busy. It's kind of a bit of a badge of honor thing. But I've noticed recently that people aren't just asking the question, how are you, anymore. They're actually following that up with another question. They're saying, how are you, and then instantly saying, you busy, question mark. How are you doing? You busy? What's the crack? You busy? You keeping well? You busy. Is that just me, or are you noticing people say that, or even you say that yourselves? Here's the thing, how are you supposed to respond to that question? It's a question that puts you on the back foot all the time. It means that you have to respond with, well, yeah, sort of, or as we always say here, flat out, mate. Mate. If you answer the question, no, I'm pretty good, like life's pretty chill, I'm not that busy, it sounds as if there's something wrong with you, isn't it? Second thing I've noticed, I know that our lives in Northern Ireland, we can have four seasons in a day, but actually I've noticed that we only ever have two seasons in our lives. It's funny, I don't have kids, but even though I don't have kids, I kind of still follow the school term, the academic seasons. So whether it's work life, family life, school life, in modern life today, there seems to only ever be two seasons, bust yourselves and then recover, bust yourselves, recover, bust yourselves, recover. That is the rhythm of modern life. We hold our breath until work kind of comes to an end. We hold our breath until the holidays come around. We're holding our breath right the way throughout June until the summer holidays, until we can crash, until we can resurface and recover. And then we kind of just get straight back into busting ourselves again. We never allow ourselves the space to actually rest. We don't create the space to be able to recover well. And the truth is, the two-seasoned way of life, it is such a prominent way for us to live these days. It's really normal. But here's the thing, it is not wise. There's a natural wise order of things that finds its origin in the Creator's intention for us all. That wisdom is found in seasons. The wise one in Ecclesiastes puts it like this, there's a time for everything and there's a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born, there's a time to die, there's a time to plant and there's a time to uproot. Life is sustained by seasons and I would argue all four of the seasons. We can't keep living in this industrialized, genetically modified, hyperactive, unsustainable way of life where there are only ever two seasons, bust yourself and then recover. We need to learn to embrace the wisdom of the seasons, the creator's natural order of things, and embrace all four of the seasons, autumn, winter, spring, and summer, times for harvesting, times for maturing, times for planting and rebuilding, times to hibernate, to savor and rest. We need to experience all four of the seasons. And we're invited to experience all four of these seasons, allowing them to take root and flourish in our lives throughout our days, our weeks, our months, and our years. And as we as a community move into summer, a time whenever we're going to have a little bit more time off, a time whenever the weather is a little bit better, thank the good Lord, you'll notice that over the next two months, We are going to kick into a different gear in the gathered life of Lagan Valley Vineyard. We've moved to one service for the next couple of weeks. Summer socials have just kicked off. Love Laggan Valley is just round the corner. And the question could be asked why don't we just sort of crack on as normal? Why don't we run tribes right the way throughout the year? Why don't we stick to double gatherings right the way throughout the year? Why do we do Lagan Valley Vineyard? Here's the thing. We want to embrace the wisdom of the seasons. We recognize that the next few weeks is a really good time for us to slow down, to be unhurried, to not be so focused on our work, but actually savor life, celebrate with friends and to rest together. And so this morning, I want to invite you to ease your way into a season of rest and replenishment this summer. If you need permission to do that, you have all of the permission in the world to do that. This morning, we're going to kick off a brand new series, which is going to take us right the way up to the end of August. It's called Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And the big idea behind this series is simply this. What would it look like for us to be able to live out what Romans 2 invites us into, where the writer of Romans calls us to not fit into the world's mold, but instead do something different, live differently and embrace the wisdom of the seasons? What would it look like for us to slow down and to focus less on our activity and instead recognize clearly the activity of Jesus? What would it look like for us, even for a few weeks, to not feel the need to force things like we always do, but instead see that there is a divine rhythm to life where grace can flow in and through our lives and into the world? What would it look like for us to rest? What would it look like for Jesus to tend to us in our inmost being? What would it look like for us to seek wisdom once again? Where is Jesus wanting to reshape us, to heal us, replenish us, sustain us, and not just for a quick fix or a recovery holiday, but actually do this for every season that we're going to step into? What would it look like For us as a community to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. It's page 672 in the Bibles that are on your seats. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be hearing from James, from Laura, Yvette, Jess, and Chris. As we unpack this small teaching of Jesus that Laura read out earlier. We're going to start somewhere slightly different though in Matthew chapter 3. And this morning, as we worship together, as we share bread and wine, and as we open up the scriptures, all I want to do this morning really is just set up the series and provide a platform for everything that we're going to teach into this summer. And it's a side note, but it's an important note. Right at the heart of our summer is Love Lagon Valley. It's the heart of everything that we're going to talk about as well this summer. The truth is, in life, the busier that we become, the more self-centered we become, and as we live self centred lives, the less we live into the likeness and joy which always comes from giving your life away. So Love Lag and Valley is right at the heart of everything that we are going to teach into. Side note but important note. Right. Matthew chapter three. Let me just set some of the context up for us here. There are huge crowds that have been gathered around John the baptizer. Since his reputation had grown, there's been this national turning of people towards God again, the likes of which hasn't been seen since the prophet Ezra. And everyone is buzzing as people are confessing their sins. They're calling on God to make them kingdom people again. But then John notices something that's a little bit disruptive He notices that the king of the kingdom is moving towards him. Verse 13 of Matthew 3 says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Jesus wants to get baptized just like us for the fulfillment of righteousness. He wants to set an example For us as his disciples to follow him in. But also this is a pivotal moment. This is the moment that Jesus' public ministry of the kingdom actually begins. Verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. The spirit of God comes like a dove and rests upon Jesus empowering him for him, empowering him for the start of his ministry. And then something remarkable takes place. It's really important to note that since the days of the prophet Malachi and the days that his book was written, which was in and around 420 BC, God the Father had pretty much been silent Nobody had heard him. There's no recordings of him speaking. Angels have spoken. John the, Baptist, uh, John the Baptist takes on the form of an Old Testament prophet declaring, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Of course, Jesus has made himself known on earth. But there is no record of the voice of God the Father being heard directly for a long time. For in and around 450 or 500 years, there has been silence. But then the age long silence is broken with verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. I am well pleased with him. The silence is broken with a declaration, not just that this is the Messiah, not just that this is the servant, not just that this is the one who is going to establish the kingdom, not just that this is the one who is about to get to work, but the silence is broken with the declaration, he's my beloved, He is my son, and with him, I am really, really pleased. For Jesus, his sense of identity and acceptance came before achievement and ministry. Even before Jesus got to work publicly, he was able to rest in the assurance that he was loved, that he was treasured by his Father, who was pleased with him, regardless of anything that he would go and do. And what he went on to do was remarkable. No one would be able to rob him of the joy and the delight of the Father. Not even the badlands would be able to take this grace away from him. Read down with me um, at chapter 4 of Matthew. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If ye are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He basically just wanted to intimidate Jesus with everything that was going on, trying to show him the depths of the earth. All of this I will give you, he said, verse nine, if you bow down and if you worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Immediately after Jesus' baptism, he is led into the badlands, into the wilderness, to do some warfare with the evil one. And I know that this is a really familiar passage to many of us. And much has been made about the significance of Jesus' responses to the tempter. Which is basically him lifting passages from Deuteronomy 8 and chapter 6. Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is able to lean on the truth of the Scriptures and do the work of warfare. Word and Spirit always go hand in hand. What a helpful example Jesus is whenever we face opposition in our life to lean on Scriptures and to be fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing that I want to focus on today. I want you to notice the tempter's two opening questions. If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. Jesus has just heard 40 days earlier the voice of God the Father declare over him, this is my beloved son. And yet the devil's cheeky, subtle, undermining question is, are you? Prove it to me. Perform and prove it. For many of us, If we're brave enough to be honest, this is where we find ourselves so much of the time. We know at a theological, conceptual level that the same words spoken over Jesus by the Father are the same words that the Father speaks over us, that we've been saved by grace, that we are loved, that nothing that we can or cannot do can separate us from the love of the Father. But while it may not be squaring off with Satan in the badlands we still feel this urge to perform, right? To prove ourselves, to perform our way to significance, towards identity, towards peace, and towards freedom. I know that I am loved, but I need to prove it. What I'm talking about here is religiosity beyond sin management. We get the grace covers, the bad stuff that we have done, but we can easily slip into another mold of religiosity, a life that leans on our works, on our achievements, on our performance, on our manufacturing of our image and reputation. Dare I say it, what I'm talking about is the Protestant work ethic, or as the New Testament calls it, binding ourselves to the law of works once again. We're unable to rest. As we hear the words of the Father, and we have this subtle drive to perform, to prove ourselves. We allow grace to cover our past, but we allow our works to define our present. We're driven to performance, and we hear this cheeky whisper from all angles, perform and prove yourself. And the reality is, is that our culture is driven by this same cheeky whisper. Prove yourself. And so, is it any surprise that this leads us to live a hurried life? A frantic life. A life that is centered on our egos. A life that is centered on making things happen. Forcing things through. Performing and working. How are you doing? You busy and flat out, mate. Are you tired this morning? Are you worn out? Are you burned on religion? Is there another way to live our lives? I've got some really good news for you this morning. Jesus, the rabbi, says this. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll, lo- you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is our teaching text for the entire summer. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Laura read it earlier from the NIV. This is... Is Eugene Peterson's wonderful translation of it. We're not going to rush this summer. We're not going to rush our way through this teaching. We're going to allow ourselves to savor it and to take it in slowly but surely. And I am convinced that for many of us this is really good news. This is gospel. This is the good news that we have been dying to hear for a long time and why Because we have been way too busy. We have gone too far too fast, trying to prove ourselves. We actually need to learn in this season to rest in Jesus, to experience the love of the Father, and open ourselves up to the replenishing work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' life, it wasn't easy. Jesus wasn't on a constant holiday. It's really important to say that. But there was a pattern to his life. There was a rhythm to it. And it allowed him to live freely and lightly. There were movements that defined who he was. And these are movements that actually can define our life too the unforced rhythms of grace. And do you want to flick up the diagram? I want to share these movements with you this morning really quickly before we share communion. And really, these are some of the big ideas that are going to provide the foundation for everything that we're going to be teaching into as a team this summer. And I've um, lifted these acknowledgement from John Ortberg's Soul Keeping, which is a brilliant book. If what I've been teaching on this morning is like, oh, it's like oxygen, and you want to be able to discover more, I'd really encourage you to check out John Ortberg's Soul Keeping book. He basically takes two of my heroes, Jesus, it's good, and also Dallas Willard, repackages all of them and applies it to what does it look like for us to be able to live our lives today. So let me unpack really briefly these four movements. Firstly, acceptance. Whenever Jesus heard the words of the Father spoken over him, he owned them as his own. He accepted them as truth, and his life displayed that. Right from the start, He accepted that he was the Father's beloved, that the Father really liked him, really loved him, was really pleased with him, even before he did any work. He didn't need to attract the attention of the Father or anybody else, but simply was able to rest in unshakable love. James is going to be unpacking this more fully next week, but let me just say this this morning. Whenever we don't accept the love of God for ourselves, life will always force us onto the back foot. Whenever we accept the love of God fully as unmerited grace, the truth is I could have got up this morning and done nothing. I just could have lay in bed or sat in a seat. I could have just hung out in the garden by myself and God's love for me would stay exactly the same. Nothing that I would do or not do would be able to take away from that But here's the thing, whenever we don't accept God's love, right from the moment whenever we wake up, and if we're to be honest, turn over and grab our phone, we're instantly on the back foot. We're playing catch up. We're trying to bring that back foot forward. We're trying to work our way to a place of feeling, hey, I've I've got this life thing. I'm doing okay. I can accept where I am. And the truth is. Bringing the back foot forward is really tiring work. It takes it out of us. We get fatigued from this movement as we strive to this place of acceptance, of seeming worthiness, of trying to do okay at life. If only we would be able to learn to accept the love of God and stand confidently at ease in it, knowing fully that we are the beloved, that God is really pleased with us our true selves, our inmost beings, not our job title, not our responsibilities, not our to-do list or our best work. This morning, let me ask you, do you accept the Father's love for you or are you constantly on the back foot trying to achieve your way towards love? Whenever we get this, whenever we get that we are the beloved, it completely changes the shape of our life. Do you want to flick on the quote? Brennan Manning, the ragamuffin, who more than most knows all about grace, said this, the wild, unrestricted love of God is not simply an inspiring idea, but whenever it imposes itself on mind and on heart with the stark reality of truth, it determines why and at what time you get up in the morning, how you pass your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read and who you hang out with. It affects what breaks your heart, what amazes you and what makes your heart happy. The revolutionary thinking that God loves me as I am and not as I should be requires radical rethinking and profound emotional readjustment. Whenever we get grace, whenever we get that we are the beloved, it will change the shape of our life. We will change. Our lives will become freer and they will become so much lighter. And Jesus better than most, was able to sustain this way of life. You want to stick on the diagram. With our lives being so full of activities that drive us towards proving ourselves and performing, we see that in Jesus, he lived a very different way. Don't get me wrong. Jesus worked really hard. He performed miracles. He went out into the wilderness for 40 days to fast and to pray. That is not easy. That is hard work. But... There were practices in the dailiness of Jesus' life that replenished his spirit, that allowed him to be able to connect with the Father's grace, with his rest, and with his joy. Jesus loved a nap. I love that about Jesus, because what's available to him is available to me, right? So I'm allowed to take a nap. I love that. Jesus practiced Sabbath. He loved taking a day off to be able to connect with God. He retreated to solitary places to be quiet. To pray, to be still, to experience the presence of God and nobody else. Jesus loved a good party. He loved to share meals, to be able to break bread and drink wine and enjoy good food and have a party with friends. He loved to take his time over that, to recline at tables and to enjoy good conversations. Jesus is the kind of person that I want to follow, right? There were practices in Jesus' life that replenished him that sustained him, even whenever he was in the thick of it. There were practices in the thick of life that allowed him to continue. So, are there any practices like that in your life? Jesus needed replenishing. He needed sustaining practices. And here's the thing, we need them too, right? Don't be too proud to rest. These spiritual practices... And they are spiritual practices. So often these kinds of things are forced out. We feel as if they're not holy enough or we're too busy for them. We try to cram them in. We don't enjoy them and savor them. We don't give ourselves permission to engage in these kinds of spiritual practices because they don't really achieve much in the moment. But these replenishing practices, they do achieve something. They will keep you alive. They do achieve something. Ruth Haley Barton highlights three layers to what she describes as Sabbath practices, if you want to flick them up. Resting the body, replenishing the spirit, and restoring the soul. Resting the body, this is about slowing the body down. These are practices that re-energize us, that go in the opposite direction of living in a fast-paced world. This is going for the walk. This is the nap. This is enjoying a meal with friends. There's replenishing the spirit. These are the activities that, whether they're by ourselves or with other people, they will lead us to joy and peace. These are the things that we just love to do to give us life and energy. These are spiritual practices. And then there's also the restoration of the soul. These are things like what we're doing this morning as our hearts are stirred in worship that as we open ourselves up to encounter the presence of Jesus. So, this summer, give yourself the space, but maybe more importantly, the permission to engage in practices like this that work for you. And what I'm talking about is the barbecue with friends. I'm talking about taking that nap, praise the Lord. I'm talking about going on that long walk, getting outside, Taking a Sabbath, sitting in your garden in silence, savouring that holiday and slowing it down, not trying to rush through every single sight to see on the city break. I'm talking about reading that really good book, spending time with your friend who gives you life. I'm talking about practising contemplation, going on a retreat, lighting the fire pit, or simply just skimming stones over and over and over again. What practices? Restore balance to your body, to your spirit, and your soul. What practices allow your soul to catch up with your body? John Ortberg puts it so simply and so helpfully with this. It's going to appear on the screen. The capacity to do nothing is evidence of a lot of spiritual growth. Doing nothing is doing a lot. These Sabbath Sustaining practices are not really about what you're going to do, but actually more about what you're not going to do. In the midst of a frantic, busy life that is, if we're to be honest, wrecking us all, we get the opportunity to choose to walk in the opposite direction, to be unhurried, to live a balanced life, to enjoy the presence of Jesus and the company of others, and even maybe the sound of silence. What I'm talking about is taking up Jesus on his offer to the disciples that day. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Thirdly, really briefly, significance. We are to live a life that is beyond ourselves, a life of demonstrating the rule and reign of Jesus for the flourishing of everybody, what we have talked about all of this year. We are to live lives of significance. Our lives are to be signs that point towards ourselves and towards God. But Jesus was so clear about his sense of significance. Time and time again, we read of him describing himself in the Gospels with those two words, I am. He knew who he was. He had a really clear sense of himself and what that meant for those people around him. But back in the desert, Jesus found his significance from the love of the Father, from what was available to him, not his activities. And all of this took place before he even did a day's work. Significance is about who we are before what we do. Learning the grace of significance, it liberates us from the need to hurry. Really briefly, there is a difference between being busy and being hurried. Busyness is an outward state. It's affected by things that go on outside of us. And every time should remind us, flip, there's a lot going on right now. God, I really need you to help me in this. Let me spend time with you in the thick of the busyness to allow me to continue. But then there's hurry, and hurry is different. Hurry is an inward state, and it's got so much more to do with what is going on in the state of our souls. Hurry causes us to be unavailable to God. We have become so preoccupied with ourselves and the activity of our lives that we detach ourselves from who we truly are, our understanding of our significance before our work. Hurry also means that we become unavailable to be fully present with God, with ourselves, and also with other people. But if we would be able to learn how to be unhurried, to not get so caught up in the hurry and flurry of life, but actually become the kind of people who are fully present and engaged that would set us up for a life full of fruitfulness lastly after Jesus invited the disciples onto the boat to rest for a while he noticed that loads of people were running towards the shore they were hungry people his heart broke for them so he got the disciples they stepped off the boat after a place of rest and he grabbed somebody who has a lunch five loaves two fish And he was able to take this lunch and a miracle took place and over 5,000 people were fed. As we learn the unforced rhythms of grace, as we choose to be present to God, to ourselves and to those around us, whenever we stop being so preoccupied with our work and our achievements, as we lay down the need to prove and perform, we can't help but give our lives away in humble, compassionate, yet powerful service as you learn the unforced rhythms of grace you'll learn to see that you're simply not the point that as we lay down a life of pushing and performing where we try to muster up all of the energy that we can to try and find a sense of acceptance and significance and sustenance from somewhere else we have the opportunity to open ourselves up to a powerful and fruitful life as we rest As we slow down, as we stop pushing, we discover a capacity for power that is beyond our proving and our performance. The power of the kingdom flowing freely and fully through us. In the way of modern life, bust yourself and you'll get more. Prove yourself and you could be powerful. But in the way of the kingdom, come and rest for a while. For the unhurried ones, the balanced ones, the present ones, the ones with nothing to prove, they get to play with power. A lunch that feeds a couple of thousand people kind of power. Miraculous kingdom power. This was the shape of Jesus' life. Grace flowing in and through him. And I've got some really good news for you this morning this could be the shape of your life too. This summer, may you get away with Jesus for a while. May your life be recovered. Together, let's give ourselves the permission to take a real rest, shall we? Together, let's walk with Jesus. Let's work with him. May we experience freedom and healing from carrying anything that doesn't fit us, things that are way too heavy for us to hold. May we learn the sweet joy of keeping company with Jesus. May we learn to live freely and lightly. Church, together this summer, may we learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Let's stand together, shall we? There's no better way to start this journey over the summer than by sharing communion together. The meal that Jesus shared with his friends the night before Good Friday. And despite the activity of Good Friday, despite the flurry of all that was going to take place, Jesus, in the thickness of it all, he created a space to share a long, drawn-out meal with his friends. He reclined with them. He didn't rush. He took his time with them. And he shared with him a meal of grace, a meal where we get to lay down our activity, our achievements, our accomplishments, and feast on the accomplishment of Jesus and savor the grace that is made available to us. And in just a few moments, I'm going to invite us all to come together and share this meal as family, to be able to remember, to be able to celebrate, and to be able to rest. But just before I invite you forward, just a couple of things. This is our family meal. It's for followers of Jesus. But this morning, if you wouldn't say that you're a follower of Jesus, if you wouldn't say that you're a Christian, but with what you've experienced this morning as we've worshipped, As I've opened up the Bible and as I've talked about Jesus, there may be something within you that is just panging for him, hungering and thirsting for him. And actually, you want to commit yourself to following him today. You want to become a Christian. You want to experience a life that is full of grace. If that is you this morning, can I encourage you that you're welcome to this table this morning And what we'd love you to do is just come to the front, and there's some of us who are sat in the front row, and just grab us and simply say, I want to become a Christian this morning. And it would be our deepest joy to be able to pray for you, to be able to introduce you to Jesus, and to be able to share bread and wine for you. And what a time to be able to do that. So do feel free to come and grab us. But for some of you today, you've been in a place, I think, where it feels as if God has been really silent for a long time. It's kind of feeling like the distance from 450 BC, right the way through to the baptism of Jesus. Feels as if God hasn't been speaking. It feels as if he has been quiet. But here's the truth. You've gone too far too fast. You're tired. You've been busy. And the truth is that the noise of your life and its busyness has drowned out the voice of God. You've been asking God to help you with these things that you've been working on, but actually what God has been saying to you all of the time, for he is never silent, is you are my beloved ones, and with you I am really well pleased. You've been asking God to speak into the flurry and into the busyness and into the noise, but actually what he's wanting to do this morning is disrupt gracefully and quietly and peacefully and simply speak over you i love you and i really like you i'm really pleased with you and what you do or don't do it really doesn't matter so lay off your accomplishments for a while lay off the responsibilities lay off the achievements and come and simply feast on the grace of jesus recognizing that you are his beloved ones that your hurry, that you're overworking, you're proving your performance. It doesn't matter at this table, but actually the only thing that matters is you hearing the voice of the Father cut through it all, saying, you are my beloved one. I love you, and I'm really, really pleased with you. If um, those three questions that Jesus posed to us, are you tired? Are you burnt out? worn out in religion if any of those questions spark in you a yes can i just invite you just really quietly just to lift out your hands and and if we can all close our eyes i would love to pray for us just as we close this morning we confess this morning that we're tired. We're a bit battered. We're a bit worn out. And we confess that a quick holiday, a long weekend, the 12th, it's not going to solve what we're feeling inside of us. We need to learn how to rest. And so Jesus, we confess that we're the students and you are the teacher. We are the disciples and you are the rabbi. Lord, would you teach us how to do this? We want to say yes to a life that is full of rest and a life that is full of flourishing, a life that is full of peace and that is full of seeing the fruitfulness of your kingdom come alive. We say yes to being balanced, to being at peace, to enjoying savoring life. But Holy Spirit, we really need you to lead us in it. So even this week, this holiday week, Lord, would you guide us whenever we hear the whisper of prove yourself or "no, get on with the to-do list, Lord, would you allow us the grace to be able to down tools and to enjoy rest, to be at peace, to enjoy life with friends and with family and by ourselves. Jesus, we really need you to show us how to do this well. So this week, in the dailiness of our life, would you lead us, attend us, and guide us through it, we pray. Help us, Lord Jesus, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. In your name we pray.